G'day and welcome back to another episode of Controllers and Couches. I am your slightly mentally, you know, deficient uh, co-host, Full Metal Chicken. And I'm Steph. And now I can go back to talking normal. And um, yes. Hello everyone. Hello everyone. Welcome back to another week. And we also have a uh, special guest today, uh, Larry the Llama, who is our... Dog uh, Toy Plush Llama, Tubility One, Light... Carry and cuddle. Yeah. Courtesy of for I think ten seven bucks. Yeah, seven bucks came from Kmart, part of the Anko pet range. And so, trust me, it was worth the price yeah. because essentially what cheaper I cheaper than antidepressants. Yeah, absolutely. I pretty much walked around with the thing, uh, holding it and patting it, and even tried to feed it leaves. And no joke, we nearly had someone in the shopping centre nearly walk into a a pole. Um, and when it was in the car, it was looking out the window, and everyone was like. You know, just like some family was losing it. My favourite, but also I hope she does it new therapy part was when, because we had to get food for the buns and we yeah. went to the, like the fruit market, fruit veg grocer, and we got some parsley and some chicory for the buns. And I, you were like, oh, Larry's eating my shirt. And I've gone here, let's give Lazarus some parsley. And I tore off a little leaf and they just happened. So we're walking out of the center to go to the car and there happened to be a little girl, I'd estimate four or five with her mother. They were walking past us to go into the center. Mother was busy doing what mothers do. The little girl saw and thought Lazar was real. Yeah, literally thought it was real. And if you look at it from a distance, <laughs> it looks like a small chihuahua. Yeah. So I think they, that we literally had a chihuahua in the car, which was absolutely hilarious because some of the looks we were getting were just priceless. Like, even the stores we were going into, people were just staring at us. It was hilarious. Definitely find that out. So there's um there's the mission for everyone else. Go out and buy a plush toy from your local, you know, Kmart or Target or Walmart or Kaufland or the, the yeah. Aldi or your... Ikea? Actually, no, you can't really buy a cabinet and then walk around and patting it. Okay. No. Yeah, anyways. Anyway, how's your week been? Uh, yeah, you know, just injuries, 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 you know. So that's been my week. So, yes. Do you want to explain? I did some DIY on a door. Um, I had to get the door frame back in, but obviously the nails in the door were kind so, of bent. So basically to describe, the actual lip where the door actually has to meet in the frame, that little bit that yeah, pops it, out, um, it's like whoever, a third the size of the actual, and it sits in the middle of the door frame, um, and it's the lip that the door has to touch, right? Yeah, and whoever had done it beforehand had not done it properly with the nails, so they were bent and all over the place. And anyways, what's happened is, as I was straightening the nails... Um, I my one of my ankles gave out because it's injured, and then <laughs> workplace injury. When I was standing between the nails to you know hammer it you out, stepped on it. I've stepped on the nail, um, and it's gone about two inches into my foot. So, yay! That kind of wrecked my weekend. Um, so, but yeah. You had your tetanus shot for anyone who's. I had a tetanus, yes. So a booster, uh, rather booster. Um, so yeah, that was uh. Yeah, pretty much that for me. Um, Sweet, you go, girl. And then, yeah, literally, literally just Larry, you know, Larry, way to go. Yeah. Let us know if anyone has got a pet llama. Oh, that would be adorable. That would be adorable. Yeah. Hi. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, Any gaming? Uh, yes, I've. 
I've been playing Call of Duty. Everyone's sick of me saying Call of Duty. But anyways, I'm playing Modern Warfare. Um, I finally got the gold uh, camo for the RO mm. shotgun. So now I've got to go through and maybe do an assault rifle or something. So MP, you know, MP7, MP5, running the SMGs. Um, but apart from that, I was looking... I actually uh, installed and loaded up uh, Star Wars X-Wing TIE Fighter um, from 1995. So uh, what I'm going to do now is also install Yoda Stories from like 1985, I think it was. Um, yeah, so going through nostalgia at the moment. But... I was looking at different joysticks you can actually get for flight simulator games. Some of the high-end ones go around 800, 900 mark, and they're absolutely crazy, like, you know, for flight simulator and Ace Combat. Ace Combat's a good game. Ace Combat 6 is crazy. And uh, so I was looking at that gun. Yeah, maybe do that, but you can run the copy that I'm using at the moment uh, with a mouse. Um, but I was just going to go hunting for the joystick that... You know, I've got in a box somewhere. It's you know not. It's not worth going out and paying nine hundred bucks. Not all joysticks are nine hundred bucks though. No, so even just like a forty, like a there 20... has to be one. Even if it's Logitech. Yeah, Logitech. Go and get like a thirty or forty dollar one. We'll do the trick. And it's just so you can you know use thrusters and yeah, anyway yeah. So that's what I've been thrusters. doing. Thrusters. Yeah, it was one of the first games where you had to choose between. Um, I think I've actually mentioned this. Um, Logitech Gaming has an extreme 3D Pro joystick. Ooh. Uh, let me just load the web page. Logitech's pretty load good. The web page. Otherwise, I just you know fancy. rip the joystick out of a plane. That would work. Yeah, Michael, sounds like a good idea. Michael. Absolutely, it's a great. Comes with a three-year warranty, only suitable for Windows 8, Windows 7, or Windows Vista. Uh, oh. Uh, apparently that one is eighty nine ninety five. If you decide to buy it from Logitech Online, yay! Good um, thing I they're got out there. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure there would be a cheaper option. So yeah, I'm absolutely. To look into it for you. Yeah, buy a Tie Fighter. Yeah. Um. So yeah, you got some. We got. Um, we watched a movie actually. Yes, we oh, did. Oh wait, do we want to do movie first, movie review first, or quiz first? Uh, we'll do quiz first. Alrighty. Um, this one I saw straight away. And I'm sorry, but this is this week's quiz. Okay. This is one of my favourite movies growing up as a tween. And this one is only someone who's seen The Man at least three times will pass this quiz. If you're not familiar with The Man or if you need a refresher, that's the movie with Amanda Bynes and Channing Tatum where they're um, part of the school football team being soccer. Okay. Yep. All right. I would love to be able to say I'm going to get 100%. Yeah. But we shall see how we go. I'm going for 1%. So let's go. <coughs> Prompt number one. Viola, darling. Remember to like A, you have a secret. B, you're a lady. C, you're royalty. Or D, you have manners. I'm going to say you're a lady. It's incorrect. That's it. You have a secret. Okay. So I select you have a secret then. No, you just you said the one that you had to select. Okay. You're a lady, so you have to select your lady. <laughs> I got wrong. Uh, why, yes, I do. My favourites, Cheddar, Feta, Gouda. 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 Or, or Brie. Um, I'm going to say my favourite is Brie. It's, no, no, no. They're quotes from the movie. Yeah, I know. Okay. I know. All right. Why, yes, okay. I do. My favourite... Favourite scooter. <laughs> but you have to go Brie. 
Okay. <laughs> Wrong. Oh, for the love of God, it blank exclamation mark. Burn? Does it sting, burn, hurt, or tickle? Burns. Yeah, it burns. Haha, <laughs> burns! Because she gets clipped in the nuts, but she, obviously she doesn't have nuts with the soccer ball, and then she's like, ugh. Uh, I'm going to be the best something you've ever had. Lab partner, math tutor, study buddy, girlfriend. Uh, I'm going to say lab partner. You would be correct. Woo! End of discussion. Fine. End of blank. Is the blank game, relationship, friendship, or story? Story. Incorrect. It's relationship, but oh. you have to go for story. Oh, oh my okay. God, I'm doing so well. And when I close my eyes, I see you for what you really are, which is... Nasty, annoying, ugly, lazy. Annoying? Is annoying the one? Wrong. It's ugly. Oh, okay. You ugly. I'm allergic to sports. The sun, being naked, my own sweat. Uh, I'm going to say the sun. Yep, it's the sun. <laughs> That's her excuse to not have to wear like shorts like everyone else on the team and to wear a hoodie and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Be a man, man. rub some in it. In it. Uh, Blood, germs, dirt, grass. I'm going to say some grass. I'm going to say some dirt. Okay, that was wrong. Yep. (laughs) Um, I can do this. I'm a dude. I'm a hunky dude. I'm a hunky dude. Super badass, hot, sexy. I'm going to say super hunky dude. No, it's badass. Oh, okay. (laughs) I was wrong again. Um, Okay, does he have your number? 1-800-GET-LOST. Buy a talk. Kiss my ass. Biotch. I'm going to go my biotch. I'm going to say get lost. Uh, Wrong. What did you get? Uh, (laughs) uh, What did you get? I got three out of ten. Yikes, you failed. Have you ever seen She's the Man? You scored better than 3% of quiz takers. Can your friends beat you? I think so, yes. I got 10 out of 10 right. I'm a She's the Man scholar. You've seen this movie a million times and it's paid off. Throws tampons in the air. Woo! I'm brilliant. Shh! (laughs) (laughs) Alright. So, movie reviews. Mm -hmm. We only have one. And that is Invisible Man. Two, actually. Oh, what's the other one? Parasite. Yes! That's right. We finished it last week, straight after recording the podcast. Yep. What's, we're not obviously not going to be spoilery because they're both... Yeah, no spoilers. Um, um, Parasite, I give 9 out of 10 for a Korean film. Not not even... Don't let, even be rude by saying it's a Korean film. Don't even look at it as a film. Korean film. Just as a film itself, 9 out of 10. Um, it's subtitles, but it's great. Thoroughly, you know... I'm going to give it an 8. We bought the DVD for it. Yeah. Yep. Like right, Blu-ray, sorry. We bought a Blu-ray. Um, Blu-ray's already Great been. movie. So, uh, was it what you were expecting? Just the twist no, at the end? No, was not expecting at all. See, I knew exactly where it was going because, like I said, I watched Steph Sue um, cover yep. it like ages ago in her one of her mukbangs. Yep. And so when it came out, I was like, oh, Michael, this looks like a good movie. And then I convinced you that we had to watch it. And yeah, so I was. Oh, it's brilliant. Great movie. Um, and then we saw The Invisible Man. Which I give, I reckon, an 8 out of 10. Yep. What did you think of The Invisible Man? I give it, like, about seven and a half, eight 8 out of 10. 
there were some things that like would just I don't want to say because they would be spoilery that affect the rating um, but I guess in a few months or a year or so we'll talk about it but yeah yeah but I should say that there's a trigger warning warning here it's very much like a domestic violence exactly centered movie um, there's like elements of weaponry whether it be knives or um, hit firearms um, but yeah it's quite graphic in nature so yeah it's I kind of describe it as like all of my paranoia's rolled into one but it was very well done there are some bits the continuation errors and the things you're like oh, but this and that and you that kind of sit which obviously I'm not going to say because it would spoil but it was pretty look I, it was worth the movie price yeah for sure and uh just for uh a little bit of interest in case people were wondering how to go back to the source the invisible man is actually a novel by hg wells it's a short story by hg wells yeah however it's very loosely based on that yeah that's what he wrote is not the movie no script not at all per se um except the part where it's talking about you know how to make a human invisible that's so it was really clever the way they did it and the science kind of really as I was looking at it and as someone oh, else there's two things that they try to hide behind in science fiction yeah so they don't have to explain it because they have yeah. no idea what they're talking about one is oh it's quantum physics yep right they don't know how to explain it they just say oh it's quantum physics the second thing is oh just optics yep just optics it's like, so what do you mean you're talking about microscopes you're talking about cameras like what branch of optics are you talking about? Oh no no no, just just optics. Yep, just that. And um, yeah, it was it was rather good. Um, but the evil boyfriend is the kid, the the son, the uh, the druggy son from um, Haunting of Peel House. Yep. So it's like, ooh. I was like, wow, that escalated quickly. So uh, yeah, we found that, and um, essentially. Also, too, you 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 realize you're a nerd when um, you know you look at the the actual lab and you go, "Ooh, that's a confocal." That's a confocal. Ooh, that's an axio. <laughs> uh, yep, we got those tables. Yep, really cool. Yeah. That was probably like the lab for for me personally was the coolest part of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then yesterday we watched Pete Davidson's Alive in New York Netflix special. Well, yeah. <laughs> you didn't know who the guy was until literally at the end, where there yeah, was a picture of him and Machine Gun Kelly, and you're I'm like, "Whoa, oh. wait a minute!" And I'm like, "Yeah, that, they're best friends. He's the guy that you know. He has the opening line in Loco in the music video, yeah. even though it's Machine Gun Kelly singing. Yeah. That's Pete. Yeah. And I was like, "Damn it! Okay, now it actually makes sense." And um, I was watching it, and like, like little bits and pieces, because I was also dabbling with some tanks. Tanks which was frustrating. So then I went back to watching comedy because stupid shit was happening. So then I'm like, is this guy, you know, under the influence? Yes. Yeah. By a large amount. Yes. Well, apparently he has since cut back a lot of his pot usage because um, he found out that he has what he thought was anxiety and he was coping with by use of medical marijuana. Yeah. Turns out that he has borderline personality disorder. Yeah. And so what he thought was just coping with anxiety, he needed to cut back for, yep. allegedly. But he also does shrooms with MGK. So yeah. I don't know how. That that stuff, like, 
it's gonna fuck with you. Yeah, and the fact that you. you know he's uh, told a line like he, he cracked a joke at Dan Crenshaw. Um, well, the thing was, he said what he said. Exactly. Right? He just... But he apologised straight after. Yeah. And then Dan Crenshaw is going to be Dan Crenshaw and, like, no one's going to have a go at it. No one's not going to side with the Navy SEAL. Yeah. Right? And at the other thing, too, like... But apparently he said since watching this, since this special came out, he said, oh, you know, um, when you watch these comedy guys... He didn't know that his apology was an actual apology. Yeah. He just thought he was further taking the piss. Yeah. And so you can understand where you might have that yeah. um, hesitation. I exactly. Suppose, that and thought. the line was actually, he'd already prepped the line and everything before going in. And then it's, he found out that, well, he, this has happened. Like, he, yeah, Dan so lost he his eye in a yeah. war. So it's literally like, like two oh, minutes before he had to great. go record it. Yeah. So, um, he then went on to, you know, talk about, well, he's, you know, his father was a 9-11 firefighter who sadly passed, you know, in that, you know, episode. So, yeah, you look at it and go, okay, comedians are comedians. They they have a joke. But at the end of the day, there is the serious underlying stuff. Well, he where, said he's a, like he injured it in a war or whatever. Yeah. And he didn't know the specifics of how it got injured in a no. war, but he wanted to acknowledge the fact that this guy was... Yeah. Uh, like a serving yeah. member. Like he was part of a service. Yeah. And so he said all and whatever because he wasn't sure if it lost actually yeah. in the line of fire yeah. or if it was during the um, timeline of the war. Yeah. And so he just said it like, oh, I want a cup of coffee or whatever. Yeah. Right? That's how he said it. He lost it during a war or whatever. Yeah. And then so everyone got stuck on the or whatever as if war was yeah. nothing to have a go about. Mind you, then, then you take into account, he's probably like had a few shrooms before going on set. You kind of go, okay, the guy is... Well, he spends the first 30 minutes talking about how he nearly got kicked off SNL. Yeah. Because he was high yeah. all the time. So you have to just cut, like cut back a bit. Just, you know... Look, I, I hear I'm not going to be that person that tells people not to do illicit substances because if someone wants to do illicit substances, they're going to do what they want to do, right? Yeah. But all I'm going to say is it does stuff with your brain chemistry. Yeah. But you do what you want to do. You know the comedians who I really, really like off SNL? Lonely Island. I don't they watch SNL. crack me up. The guys from Lonely Island crack me up. So, uh, uh, they're funny. All right, let's heading right into today's news. Yes. So, um, earlier in the week at 6.58am while I was sitting on the bus waiting for the bus to go, I saw this thing on Instagram and it's uh, Johan Baker who tweeted this out. because Well, he, he replied to a tweet made by Game Rant and apparently there's a Sony patent that hints that the PS5 controller will be able to detect sweat, heart rate, and more. Damn. And so Johan goes, laugh my ass off. I see your blood pressure rising. I know you're crying, son. <laughs> right? And then so I went to chase down um, an article, which, of course, is going to take a little while to load. But it was written by The Independent. Um and so apparently the PS5 controller is going to be able to track biofeedback such as sweat, heart rate, 
according to the patent. Um, and then therefore it's going to use that to adapt games to your body. So whether or not the PS5 controller is going to have that capability, it's yeah. quite evident that they're working on that technology, I yeah. suppose. Um, and then to make games more immersive or less stressful. So if you're giving it to a 14-year-old boy who's acting like he's on the front lines, it's going to make it less serious for him. Yeah. I suppose. And like if you're playing Resident Evil 20 or something. And you're freaking out. It might suggest, hey, take a 20, 30-minute breather and come back. Yeah. Or suddenly the, you know. Whoa. <laughs> sorry. That was. Whoa. There's That's music. an advertisement by Seek. I didn't want anyone to think that I farted because I have my volume on for a specific <laughs> reason. I'm actually going to mute that until I need it for this Trust episode. Trust me. If it was I'm me. I'm so sorry. I actually thought someone was going to say she farted live on air <laughs> and I didn't. It was part of the Seek ooh, because ooh. I scrolled down and the audio stopped. Ooh, can I? That was hilarious. If it was me, it'd sound like a truck ramming through a wall. Oh. <laughs> Um, so yeah, uh, also, um, we already spoke about the woman who's, she got arrested. Did I tell you that? Yes, we, you so told me So we that. all know about five million buck bail, um, and I don't know what's happening past that. Yeah. Oh, apparently they found, um, the son's iPad and the kid's birth certificates Ooh. in some storage place somewhere in Idaho. Nice. So... People are kind of saying that maybe the kids are, in fact, actually gone. Where they're gone is in this context, whether it be sold to human trafficking or... Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. That's a bad place to go. So, okay. Uh, Do you have anything else you wanted to cover before we get right into the news? Well, not the news, but the story to today. Um, The only thing I was really going to say is people talking about backwards compatibility... Um, a few people I was talking to during the week, they were saying a lot of their consoles they got rid of because of backwards compatibility, you know, backwards... Please don't com- do that because you don't know which console yeah. it's going to be backwards compatibility don't, for. Don't go out and sell all your old games. Don't go sell your consoles. It's, as a ga- as me, as a gamer, nostalgia, nothing, there's nothing greater than, you know, having a discussion with some mates and then going, yeah... Let's go play Donkey Kong, but oh, we don't have the console or the original PlayStation. Listen, I'm, I'm feeling very triggered right now. Yeah. Please stop. Okay. No, but the point I'm making is... No, but my mother and my brother did the exact same thing. Yeah. An emulator is, you know, able to recreate there's, some of the nostalgia. There's shit there that I had that I will never remember the name of. Yeah. So I had to actually go on Reddit, go to the tip of my joystick and describe the games... Yeah. And wait, and there was one guy who was brilliant and really helped me out. Because you think, like, you know the cover, you just can't remember what it's called and stuff the the, the memory chip or anything like that. Yeah. Just the fact that once you get rid of those, you're not going to, it's not going to be backwards compatible to the PS1. But interestingly, um, we were at the other day and I saw that uh, on the Xbox One, you can buy an Aladdin and um, Lion King. I think it's the original video game, isn't it? That they've yep. remastered. So that would be interesting. I'm going to wait for a Very sale. interesting. Oh, last thing. We're going to get Ambien soon. We have a estimated connection date. We have to call and we have to pre-order. So that we're one of the first customers to get it uh, installed, whatever on earth it is. And then, boom! Yep. And I can't wait to go back on Blops 2. And with my LMG internet 
MLG internet, they used to say. Because yeah. back when I lived in South Morang, it was like one of, the, one, of, only one of the few places that actually had NBN. So I used to host for the clan. Oh, and then I might actually get back into it. Yeah. Because you hear about people now. I, I, I read a um, just a Twitter post or Twitter feed and people going on about, oh, my connection's so slow. I'm only getting 200 megabit per second. And you kind of go... Well, that's ah. nice. I get 20 meg. <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Well, not even. I get 20 meg on a good day at like 4 a.m. on a Friday in the morning. Yeah. Generally, it's like 8 to 10 meg a second. So, you know. And the meg is fine, but we can't upload for shit. It's no. 0.25 kilobit. Yeah, it's Upload crap. for us. Our ping is shocking. Yeah. So, it'll be nice. I was to... running like 300 ms the other day just yeah. you know and you go at least we've got it like the corded set up so as soon as nbn rolls around the router's good to go just oh well when they come them. in to like install or run fiber or whatever they're doing they're going to come in and see the cable that we got and they're going to be like do they need to go into the back room no. to look at anything or no it's just at the front right and it runs off the same line pretty sure yeah that's it because I, th- I remember in south marine there was an actual box that they install inside your house or unless what they might do because there's another port over there they might yeah, actually install like, put it here yeah because then the cord will have to move from there to there to there and then run it through yeah yeah so. and then instead of it being kitchen that way it'll have to be like the other side of the room exactly yeah so it's not the biggest problem in the world we just i think we get the modem anyway with the package when we do the sign up yep and our router is going to Amplifier or do oh, whatever yeah. a router does. So, our router is. Well, we could go to Sweden with that router and it still wouldn't max. No. So, and you know what pissed me off? The freaking safety membership for the router. I'm not going to say what it is. Yeah. But that was freaking shocking to have to. Because we had the trial and then we're like, oh, we had like half a week left. And I'm going, oh, I'll just do it today while I remember. It was bloody so hard. To get the subscription re- not reinstated, but to I guess move over from the subscription to the trial to the pay subscription, and I had to contact them and I had to pretend to be you because obviously yeah. <laughs> it's in your name. So I did the online chat, but what are you gonna do? Alrighty, hoity toity. So we're ready to go. Nothing else? Nope. Nope, nope. Okay. So today we're gonna be talking about the solved cold case of Ursula. Uh, Barwick. I know that normal people think it's Ursula, but she preferred, I think the pronunciation of her name was Ursula. So if I accidentally say Ursula, please forgive me, it's actually Ursula. Yep. Ursula, rather. Ursula. Uh, so this one's going to be quite heartbreaking, and you're going to be left with some mixed feelings, and ultimately you're going to feel like there was no resolution to the case, but you'll see what I mean when we eventually get there. Um, so originally I was watching the news about the bushfires that were happening, I want to say in late December, early January, and, um, because I was watching like the ABC news coverage, I was recommended this episode of Vanish Without a Trace, um, which was about Ursula's disappearance, um, and it was aired by the ABC, like I said, so that's how I first heard about her case. I'll actually link the YouTube video, 
um, in our episode notes if you wish to watch it yourself. But before we actually get into this week's topic, if you have any information regarding any criminal activity or just want to report something that doesn't feel right, please consider contacting Crime Stoppers. It's all anonymous unless you request to be identified. And you can do that at crimestoppers.com.au or by calling 1-800-333-000. This is an independent, non-for-profit organisation that's part of a global network. So if you find yourself able to donate, please do. Yeah. All right. So it's kind of going to... When I say it's a cold case, it took place a while ago, which we will get into and that kind of thing. But Ursula was a kid that grew up in the country. When I say in the country, I don't mean oh, 40 minutes drive from Melbourne, right? One day she told her parents that she had was just going to go to Sydney. Um, and you yourself can attest that it can be quite daunting for some people, especially a young girl at that time. Yeah. I think it was the 80s. Uh, to visit the city where there are tens of thousands more people and it's just packed and busy and it's the first time that she's kind of going by herself kind of thing. She's a young teenage girl. You can feel that, you can understand that she would be quite overwhelmed. Yeah, very overwhelmed. Um, So when she actually left um, and her parents knew that she had left, there was no bitterness. She was happy and she was so excited to be going on this new adventure in her life. She told her parents that she was going to give them her address. Uh, so she was going to go ahead, find the place, and then she was going to get like a place to stay or rent, right? And then she was going to call them, give them the address, and then they were going to meet her there in like two, three days. Yeah. But that call never came. And there was no record of her ever found. So her family is torn between wondering if she was dead or if she was alive, if she was gone forever or if she was just going to come back home. Um, Theoretically, it could have been a very easy case to solve and we'll get into that. But ultimately, um, this was a cold case for quite a while. Um, Her case actually highlights a lot of systemic and deep-rooted problems that are kind of involved when investigating missing persons cases um her case is not described so it's not her case is not unique unfortunately there are apparently uh, 260,000 long-term missing people in australia and her family actually said like oh my god we realized when we were going through this especially now in more modern times when they really tried to use the media to help find ursula yeah. That they're not the only ones. No. That there are hundreds of families with similar stories or different stories but still have a missing loved one. Um, so because of that, there's been a lot of attention to these cases and people are saying, look, there should be a lot more dedicated resources to be put into solving these cases. Yeah. So apparently in 2018, her school had their 30th reunion. Um, they come from the town Quirindiri, Dini. Quirindi, Quirindi, how do you pronounce that? Quirindi, I think it's Quirindi. Yeah, Quirindi. And this is a very, very small town in western New South Wales. So whilst New South Wales is a, like every other state in Australia except for Canberra, is a uh, waterfront state, or uh, it's not landlocked. Um, She's very, not on the beach side, but more internal, more inland. And so it's 2018 and her friends were saying, look, 
it's not like her to willingly miss these kinds of events. She would have wanted to be here, especially at the 30th anniversary, to catch up with all her friends um, that she essentially grew up with. So the other people in the town thought that maybe she was kidnapped by Ivan Malat. Um, he's someone that we'll eventually cover in the future, but he's one of Australia's most notorious serial killers. Um, so there's a lot of questions, there are a lot of theories, there are a lot of things that they were like, maybe this happened, maybe that happened, and that sort of thing. And I think one of the biggest problems with these cold cases is you're just left with no answer. Yeah. You're left with your mind trying to connect the dots to something. Imagine that, like thinking your child got killed by a serial killer and or something happened, and no one knows. That's no. the point. You just don't know. Or maybe she is alive and you're just living your life thinking that someone has passed away even though they're yeah, still living, feeling. breathing. So her family say that she loved the outdoors lifestyle that came with living in the rural town that she grew up in. They describe her as being very brave. She was always the first person to try something new. Um, and she was very confident. Um, so there are a few other names that we're going to start to introduce. Her mother was Cherie and her father, Peter. Um, he remarried and his new, new wife or Ursula's stepmom, Elizabeth, um, they saw a lot of her until they moved to the Central Coast. And I want to make it known that Elizabeth was not the stereotypical evil stepmom. She was so loving. She treated Ursula like she was her own daughter. Um, so there was, there's no animosity there, if that makes sense. That's not the kind of root cause. Uh, so she had been over at their place on the Central Coast during the school holidays. And she was the first person they rang when her half-brother, Andrew, was born. Um, and then soon after, the couple had her sister, Kate. And then all three kids absolutely adored each other. There are so many pictures of them sitting together on a couch. There are pictures of her holding them. Um, Andrew says that they completely loved each other and that the three of them always had fun when she was over visiting because she still lived with her mum back in Kundiri. Yeah. As she became a teenager, those closest to her noticed that there were some changes happening. And I want to point out that that's completely normal for someone of a teenager variety age. Yeah. <laughs> variety. When when you're of that age, stuff happens and you're trying to figure your place out in the world and it, fits you, it hits you like a freight train. And you're trying to figure out who you are. And you're trying to like do dumb shit, but you also don't want to get in trouble. So that's completely normal. Um, and so... You can completely understand that she may be questioning her direction in life and she's trying to decide who she is as a person. And again, that is completely normal for someone of that age. Um, and so they say, look, the whole hormone issue came into play with her. Um, her mother, Cherie, said, look, she didn't know where she really fit. She probably felt stifled in this country town. It wasn't big enough for her. Um, apparently toward, well, in the middle of her year 11 years, so while she's 17, her risk-taking became more extreme in that she became drink. She started drinking excessively to the point of where she's actually passing out at parties, yeah, wouldn't know good. where she was. She took what they described in the documentary as small drugs 
and exhibited promiscuous behaviour. And I want to say that that's not me calling behaviour promiscuous. Keep in mind these are 60, 70, 80-year-old people from a small country town. So, yep. of course, they're going to label someone as being promiscuous when in reality you're allowed to do whatever the fuck you want to do with your body as long as you're being safe. Yep. All right? That's not for anyone else to point out. So that's not my... And I say this every time that someone labels a woman as promiscuous, but I just want to drive home that that's not us saying that. We don't have some weird stereotypical bullshit. You're allowed to do whatever the hell you want to do. Just yep. be safe. Um, so basically, you're free to experiment. Just be safe. <laughs> um, I, don't, I just feel terrible because I don't know what to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You're allowed to do whatever the hell you want. Except mess with mess around with toluene and benzene. You know? Yeah, don't. In that case, be safe, yes. Um, and so, like I said, her town is a lot more low-key environment and this is behaviour different. You know, she's exhibiting behaviour that her town isn't used to and wouldn't stand for, right? Because yep. um, if you... Like, I'm, I'm telling you, if you went to a high school and you said to a girl, oh, you're promiscuous, not that I'm saying anyone should do that, it'd be viewed in a completely different light and no one at all should be shamed for their sexual activity and that's kind of what I want to hammer home. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But for Ursula in this small town, um, it went into overdrive, the room mill kicked in in the town... It started through the school, it spread through the community, and as a result, you can imagine being in her shoes, she's, she'd be scared, you'd be mortified, she would have been so embarrassed, and that, again, is completely understandable, you know what I mean? Whether she had control, consent, whatever, under the influence, yeah. you don't talk shit about someone, no. you don't shame someone for what they do, and you can imagine how the rumours would have driven her to act out more and would have added more fuel to the fire. Absolutely. Because you just kind of go, well, if that's what they say I am, might as well yeah. give them something to talk about. And so her dad described getting a phone call from her mother, Sheree, not his, the stepmom, Elizabeth, but the mother, Sheree. And she said, look, can you please take Ursula for a while because I cannot handle her. Yeah. She's just getting to be too much. And her dad said, of course. And so she was sent over. Um, the last time they saw her was in spring of 1997. So she was in year 11. She didn't want to go any further. And in Australia, that's actually quite common. Um, as soon as you turn 15, which I think is year 9, halfway yeah, through year 9 for most that. kids, you're allowed to technically you're allowed to decide to drop out of school. Most people in Australia do that because they either want to pursue a trade for example, guys would want to be sparkies, concreters. Um, there was one kid in my school who dropped out to become a butcher. Um, then for the girls, a lot of them want to do hairdressing yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, because what sucks in show, I don't know if it's like that in every country, but um, it actually costs a lot of money and you have to support yourself for a lot of the time when you're doing an apprenticeship. So some kids say, look, you know, I am definitely certain that high school is not the place for me. I would rather start my apprenticeship or start my trade. And so they kind of buffer that by starting earlier in life so that by the time that the rest of their friends are graduating, they have their piece of paper too yep. and they can, you know, start where they want to start their own business or they can be a fully-fledged trades member, whether it be a hairdresser or whatever, they can work and start earning money, right? Yep. It takes them the same amount of time as a kid that's going to finish their VC in Victoria or HSC or whatever it is, wherever you live. Um, 
So again, nobody's shaming those kids because at the end of the day, those kids are making so much more money than me. Um, <laughs> if that's what it comes down to. And at the end of the day, all school and a trade is, is to get you a means, to train you in a means that's going to be able to make you support yourself. Yep. And that's all that matters. That's you know what I mean? If someone loves cutting hair, cutting meat, plugging whatever it is, an electrician or running lines, pipes... Like a tradie does is yep. the same way that I like doing immunohistochemistry or a behavioral experiment. Who fucking cares? At the end of the day, people just need to make money to survive. Yep, that's all they want to do. Right? So no one's here to judge that. Um, you got to do what you got to do to support yourself. Um, so she basically said, and this is her, her family quoting her, I'm 17. I can do whatever I like. I can do anything. I can leave home. Oh, jeez. And so she says, oh, by the way, Dad, um, I found a job in Sydney. And her family basically made the decision to support her life choice. And so they took her to the train station in the middle of the week, being a Wednesday. And they said, look, you go down, you find a place to stay, to set yourself up. And we will come down on Saturday. So you're going to call us. You know, tell us your address and we will come on Saturday and, you know, we'll catch up then. Yeah. So they were going to give her, um, like, pretty much two full days. So she gets there Wednesday and then she's got Thursday, Friday to situate herself and get organized before she calls them to tell them where to go to visit. Now, can I just say, when I heard that part where they're like, oh, we're going to give her a couple of days to situate yourself. How far, just think in Melbourne alone, how far of a head start could you get if you wanted to go anywhere from Melbourne in two days? Because I reckon you could literally get anywhere. Yep. Even if it was a train. Even if it was Easily. just a V-line or whatever it's called to connect you to other states. Easily. You can get literally almost anywhere or yep. three quarters if of the way there. If you get in the car and start driving. But she, I mean, in her case where she's taking a train. Yeah. Right? But she could get on train, get off on a train, and hop fucking a car, go to New South, go. New South, to Northern Territory. She can go to Perth. She can go to yep. Darwin. She could go anywhere, and you wouldn't know because there's no my key. No, nothing. There's no CCTV in the nineties. So all I'm saying is, if you really wanted to disappear, you could make it happen. You could, right? Especially considering she's driving all of these. Things like, I want to leave and I want to do this. And that's, yep. I don't know, I wasn't there, but that's like the, um, the, um, what's that word I'm looking for? The impression her family were giving me when I was watching this documentary. Yeah. And please keep in mind that this is the late 90s, so cell phones were nowhere near as common no. during that time. Um, and finding a place to say, stay was not easily accessible it's not like you can log on to realestate.com.au seek click the rent option and find a list of places you had to either find a newspaper or go to the town and start asking around yes you had to actually inquire right and a lot of it is in person right and finding work in my opinion would have been the exact same way yeah right so unless you unless you know someone who can sort you out how would she have found this job no disrespect to her, like I'm sure she was a very, very capable young woman. But I'm just saying to you, for the nineties, how hard would it have been to really set hard. yourself up as a seventeen year old girl? Um 
like if I was doing it today, it would be hard, let alone yeah. her at her age. Not that I'm saying, again, she's incapable, but I'm just trying to drive a point. Is that yep. what I'm trying to say? Yep. So, again, it's essentially a completely different world out there. And but in my head, wouldn't you notice a 16-year-old girl from the country more? Wouldn't uh, she stand out? I don't know, maybe, but... You know, these days and ages, it's hard to tell the difference between... But then you would have been able to know. Yeah. Right? It's the 90s. When you came to the city in the 90s, when people like, why are you wearing a check shirt? Why do you have, like, 50 bags with you? Don't you have train stories? Yep, and they're like, you know, you look a bit like you just walked off the farm. And you're (laughs) like, fantastic, because that's what happened at 5 o'clock this morning. Yeah, pretty much. So, if it happened today, um, obviously there would be CCTV footage. I think it's Opal in Sydney, isn't it? Because we're Mikey. I think Sydney's um, the Opal transport card. You can track bank cards. You'd have a phone or a laptop or an iPad. So, theoretically, you'd be able to track devices. Yeah. But she had told her father, I will contact you as soon as I know where I am. And that was the last thing she ever said to them. So, she goes on the Wednesday... Thursday comes and goes. Friday comes and goes. She doesn't contact her family for the Saturday where yep. she said, I'll tell you where I'm at and you can come. And they said, all right, we'll come over on the Saturday. So nothing happened. They just stayed at home. Right. Right? So two whole weeks roll over. Um, and at this point, considering the family, I can't fathom that they waited around this long. Um, because it's not like she gave them a name for a place she supposed... Like, if I told you, if I told my mum... Oh, I found a job. They'd be like, where the fuck are you working? Yeah. Like, why the fuck? What the fuck? Which the fuck? Why the fuck? Yeah. Right? And you'd, I'd have to provide answers. Where are you working? How much are you earning? Why are you working there? How did you find out about the job? Who else is working there? What kind of clients or whatever? Yeah. Right? So, I'm surprised that they didn't ask for this information. Maybe they didn't want to push and prod her because it would have triggered her and... She, they, you know, they thought, look, um, we'll just let her have some time and she'll sort herself out. I don't know. But she didn't have accommodation lined up, so they obviously had no number or address to reach her on to start a subsequent investigation. And can we point out that Sydney is a literal, actual bloody maze? And from other people, like, for example, Melbourne, where it's very self-explanatory. Yep. Imagine going to Sydney. I get lost in Sydney and I have a fantastic sense of direction. Let alone a poor 17-year-old girl from the middle of nowhere, New South Wales, being dumped into that layout. Yeah. Right? Even local people in Sydney hate the layout of their city. So her family became, and understandably, very anxious. So her dad, after two weeks, decides, you know what, I'm just going to go to the Sydney police headquarters and I'm going to inquire. So he reported Ursula as a full missing person and he obviously provided photographs, which good on him because a lot of people don't think to do that. Yeah. So the family, he went back home and the family just waited and they thought that the police would eventually um, go look for her and eventually turn her over, right? Yeah. And so I'm pretty much sitting down watching this thinking, where are they going to look? Like the only place they could go for a lead in my head at that point would have been the train station, right? Yeah. And you don't even know which train station in Sydney to start at because it's a whole line. It's a train line. Yeah. You can get off five stations 
before this main Sydney train station, the main stations in Sydney, right? Yeah. You don't know. But they just thought, hey, you know, the police are going to do... That's what the police do. They're supposed to investigate missing people. They're going to sort it out. But there were never any follow-ups from the police. And nobody was ever interviewed. Not her friends, whether they be school friends or whatever. Not her family. Her schoolmates. Nobody. Wow. Was asked any information about Ursula. So her family believes the police were just disinterested... And they chalked it up to being another runaway, especially for the behaviour that she was exhibiting before. And I completely agree that's completely, totally unfair and it should not be done. Um, But they just thought, look, maybe it's a typical teenager who has to blow off some steam, have her fun, and then she will come back home and contact us when she's ready. Yeah. So the family were left believing that there was literally next to nothing that they could do. So they just waited at home and hoped that she would one day contact turn, them. yeah, contact them, turn up, whatever, any sign of life, right? Um, but apparently, before she left, she wrote two letters for her small group of friends. Okay. I was not able to find the um, full letter, like the full what's it called? Um, do you know what I mean? Like yeah. uh, the full transcript, as it were. But I did take some screenshots um, of what was provided in the video, for lack of a better term. Sorry. Let me just zoom in and I can read um, what I took. So um, she wrote this on the 6th of September and her handwriting is fucking impeccable. So basically it's the same friend group, but she thought she would write two letters for them, if that makes sense. I don't know if they were identical in content or whatever. Yeah. Um, but these are photographs of the letters, I assume scans. And the first one says, Dearest Melissa, Anne, Angie and Darlene, Hi there, kids. Now, how are you all? Question mark. I'm pretty good, thanks. And I'm having fun down on the coast. I'm down visiting my dad. How's school? I'm going to leave, I think, and maybe do more for my education after next year. Did you enjoy the play the other day? And then there's a bit cut out, and then it says, I hope. Um, and then if you look at the other one, the other second image, it says, I hope so. I left on Friday to come. Sorry, let me just zoom back in again. Uh, this one's further away. I, do, 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 do. I left on Friday to come and see my dad. I will be back in Quirindiri in October. So she's saying she's going to be back in October. People who go missing voluntarily, right? Sorry, people who want to off themselves, people who want to go missing, they don't make plans. No, they just do it. The ones who would doubt. Yeah. No. So in my head when I read that, I was like, okay, so she had plans to come home, right? I, I'm just down here for a holiday. And rest from up there. How's Jason and Melissa? I hope well. Please stay. Please say something to him for me. I can't see. Please say no. Hi. I think it means hi to him for me. How are you, Angie and and Darlene? Are you all enjoying school? Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! Ha ha. Yeah. Tomorrow I'm going to. And then her thumb is in the way. And then her other thumb is in the uh, way on the other side of the paper. Looking after my baby sister and brother because because something here have a pupil free day, something school, so I can something. And then she's like, I'll write to you later, I think is what it says. 
because um, the woman who's holding the document to the camera is yeah. in the way of it, I suppose. And so her friends decided that they were going to hold on to these letters, thinking that, hey, the police are going to come talk to us, right? Yeah. They're going to need these for the investigation. But the police never investigated. The police never came. So throughout the letter, apparently her friend says about three or four times that she missed them, that she couldn't wait to see them. So again, it's not like she planned on being away forever, even if she planned on disappearing for a while, right? Yeah. And then she actually drew this picture of, I want to say it's a brick wall and a head over the brick wall saying, hi girls. And then a bee with a hat, like a baseball hat saying, see us all soon and miss you heaps. Yeah. Right? Like two cartoon drawings. And for a 17 year old girl, her friends say it was very surprising that nobody spoke to them or questioned them about what was going on in her life because the only person the only people who are going to know what you're thinking and what you're experiencing are people who are going through it with you yeah her friends right um so maybe she would have told her friends something but there were no there was no contact from the police there were no results from the oh shit Wait. oh shit oh shit is that the fbi Oh, God, could you imagine? That's <laughs> no, it's our 10.30 alarm 10:30 that alarm. I set last week to for the confocal. Yep, so I'm it's so 10.30, sorry. everyone. Welcome to 10.30 a.m. Welcome to 10.30 a.m. on this Sunday, the 1st of March. Pinch punch, the first day of the month. Sorry, but you can't do it back. Well, I did a flick and kick myself. <laughs> um, so, sorry about that. Uh, so, with no results, her family said, you know what, let's just go start looking for her ourselves. So her brother Andrew says that he remembers his dad just going to the city quite a bit and he didn't realise what for at the time. Um, but in the back of their dad's mind, he thought there would be a chance that she had gotten into something more sinister and she couldn't get out. Yeah. So he said in the... Di- <laughs> <laughs> he said in the documentary that when you go into looking into these places, you realise what kind of deviant people are around. And he says that he was saddened to have to see it firsthand. So basically, this guy would just go to the city during late night. Yeah. You can imagine the kind of uh, areas, King's Cross and whatnot. And he would just look, walk up and back, up and back, around the corner, it. looking to find to see his daughter. Yeah. If he could find his daughter. Yeah. So Christmas of 1997 comes and goes. Birthdays come around and she still has not been in touch. Years go by and Elizabeth, her stepmom, say that they would get phone calls from the police saying that somebody new had taken up the case, you know, because they make that known, but nothing new would come to light. Yeah. Her mother, unfortunately, Cherie, passed away in 2014, 17 years after Ursula's disappearance. Um, And just before she passed, Ursula's dad said that um, apparently she had, apparently Cherie had said to Eric's husband, I'm on the way to meet her. Yeah. So she, the mother was quite, I don't use the word adamant, but she, I guess she felt, she knew maybe that her daughter was gone. That's really sad. And then that apparently really hit home for him. Um, So Cherie unfortunately passed away. So all the conversations and searching for Ursula stopped. Yeah. And then in 2008, the school had their 20th reunion and everyone got on the topic of Ursula and just, you know, wanted to talk about her. 
Um, so at this point in time, Facebook was so new, but they said, you know what, let's just make a Facebook page. Yeah. And so one of her very close friends, Heidi, um, really spearheaded and organized that. And then her brother joined the page in 2010, Andrew. And so in the documentary, Andrew says that he always wanted to be a policeman. He always thought that, you know, once he got his badge, he would be able to look for her. And that's like, imagine that like baby brother. Yeah, that's really You know, rough. wanting to do that. And so, you know, good guy, Andrew. And so he made some inquiries in the missing persons department. And he was actually at the same station as Senior Constable Adam Marsh, who was a part of the missing persons unit. And so Andrew told him that his... So Andrew tells this Senior Constable of the missing persons unit that his sister had been... You know, his sister was missing. And so the constable goes, yeah, man, if I can, I'll have a look. Yeah. And so this is the point in which she's been missing for approximately 23 years. Um, and at this time point, forensic technology was really, really picking up. Yep. And so it was aiding police to solve cases that were really making waves. It was hitting national media and it was solving lots and lots of cases, tough cases. And so it kind of um, posed a way for people who did have missing family members to kind of have some hope. Right to solving their cases. So in 2010, there was a massive campaign um, by the federal police and the missing persons unit. Yeah. And so their push was this new age progression technology because it was the first time that it was going to be used in Australia. Yeah. And so the family thought, look, you know what? Um, maybe this is our last chance of finding her. And so Ursula's face was one of the first few that was generated under this new scheme. And it was placed on bus stops and it was run on every single media circuit. And her sister recalls people going up to her and saying, oh, we saw your sister's poster, you know. I hope it gets an answer for you. Yeah. But the family were concerned because the hair colour and eye colour in the description were wrong. And so, so, so not only that, the date was wrong as well. So two key pieces of information. You're going to look at someone and you go, hair colour, eye colour, right? Yeah. And when you're going to, yes, it was nearly 30 years ago, but you need that key information to be correct. Exactly. So they made a phone call um, to try and get it corrected, but that took about three to four years, three to four weeks for that to be rectified. Yeah. So meanwhile, everyone's blasting out the incorrect information. So her friends said that this was very sloppy. They didn't understand how people would be able to find her or hand over information if everything was wrong. And so time continues to tick by. There are still no new leads and the family is back to square one. And then in 2014, uh, at this point she had been missing for 27 years. There was a statewide... Yeah, 27 years, right? There was a statewide initiative to follow up on stalled long-term missing person cases. And so a detective at King's Cross Police Station ended up with Ursula's file. Uh, the family were told that the officer thought that this may have been a homicide, but he felt that there was more to the story. So bottom line, at this point, everyone 
kind of knows that she's dead, kind of feels that she's dead, right? They, they don't see that she'd be missing these massive important events that she would go without. Stuff her parents, yeah. you know, her brother and sister. You have to be really close to someone for your baby brother to say, I'm going to be a cop so I can find you and to stick to that 20 years later, right? Yeah. In my head, that's a very big attachment relationship there, right? So imagine her friends. Imagine her parents. She was obviously very well loved. She was just in a very tough spot. Yeah. And that would be so hard. And so her dad and stepmom were individually interviewed for the first time 27 years after she went missing. Not... Seven days, not 27 days, not 27 months. Not 27 hours. 27 years. What, like, obviously they're so close to the story so they would remember things, but still there would be information that you may have, you know, lost during that time. Who the hell? uh. So Sergeant Amy Scott was also brought onto the case. Um, And so... Was it, is the name Amy or something? Let's just say, I can't remember, but let's just say Sergeant Scott, right? Yep. And so all of a sudden, these people are doing more for the case than anyone had ever done previously. The officers go back to her hometown, spoke to her high school friends, and they say that, um, you know, every lead, every name they brought up, and they just, you know, they said to the police, Maybe have a look at this, so the police did. You yep. know, that gave this person's name. The police went and they tried to chase up that lead. Yep. And so a year later, it's 2015, we're now 28 years after she went missing, the police released a reenactment of her during Missing Persons Week. And her face, her case, was the face of yep. Missing Persons Week in 2015. And as a result of all of the attention on her... Somebody anonymously called Crime Stoppers. And I've got a media release that I'm going to play for you. All right? Decades after Ursula Barwick went missing, police... There's fresh hope a woman who vanished from the Central Coast 30 years ago could still be alive. We've recently received new information that Ursula was in fact working at the Coach and Horses Hotel in Randwick in July of 1989. There was a... Of Ursula in Sydney, two years after she disappeared. Police have been able to verify. I was just stunned. Right? So, family, like, we're stunned. Um, they were really happy that there was news, for lack of a better term, but they were saddened with the knowledge that she left and disappeared for so long by choice. Um, and that was something that they weren't kind of ready to have to feel, if that makes sense. Yeah. So the family decided to do a press interview and they addressed Ursula directly. And I'm going to play that for you now. There's very few out there anywhere. Please contact us. Just to know that you're okay, your life's okay, and the rest of it doesn't matter. Yeah, so he just, you know... Wants her to come home. Not even that, just to know that she's alive, that she's out there. Yeah. Right? So after all of that, would you believe that if I told you it was a case of mistaken identity? Oh, jeez. That the girl, it was a girl, but she was very similar in stature. 
to Ursula and she was going to university near that pub. That's why she worked there. Yeah. But it was the wrong girl. Oh, jeez. Um, so, six months later, after she had been missing for 29 years, in May of 2016, her father gets a late call. He gets a call, it's late afternoon, from the lead detective on the case, Kurt. And he says, look, I have this set of photographs. I want you to come in. I want you to have a look at them. But I need to let you know that it's going to be very, very hard. Yeah. So they say, okay, and they go in. And the officer shows them a copy of a report of a young girl who had passed away in a car accident in 1987. Oh, no. That's right, 19... Yeah, that's right, 1987, because she went, yeah. And so she went missing under the name of Jessica or Jessie. <sighs> and so they're there and they're listening to this and they're wondering what this has to do with them. Um, and so the family say, look, the images were absolutely horrific. Um, I'm not going to post a link, but I'm going to say that when you look at these images, it's quite evident that someone has been thrown out of a car. Yeah. Big time. Um, and there's also, it becomes pertinent to the story later, but there's also a bracelet on the left wrist. Um, so the dad decides to look closer. Uh, she has the same eyes and teeth as Ursula. Her hair and body were the same, but the photographs were not taken as a headshot of the person. They were kind of, uh, because of the position of her body in the photograph, her being laid out on the ground post-accident, um, there was no picture of her face. So her dad gets up. He was absolutely devastated. Um, and then they kind of explained how much investigating went on to find these photos and the background of how it all came about. Yeah. And so the reason why these detectives at King's Cross Station actually had these photos is because Adam Marsh... Um, he was a friend and former colleague of Andrew, the brother, right, who he asked to look into this story. Um, he knew that, sorry, so the police knew five years earlier than when they told the family about Jeez. this girl, right, that they were reviewing the file of a young girl who had died in a car crash. But they there was a lot of hush-hush happening about it. Yeah. Right? So... This um, New South Wales Police Force document, they put it up in the documentary. Um, the incident date and time was the 27th of the 10th, um, 1987. The girl was classified as deceased. Um, the accident happened on the Hume Highway um, in Terracotta, where it intersected with um, Kajura Road. Um, so... There's like a lot of information there. The identification method was details supplied at the scene. And what those details were is going to piss you off later on. Uh, her name at the time, on this, the, the girl who's passed away in this car accident, her name, her alias, was Jessie Pierce. Details supplied at the scene, right? Yeah. So when you read details supplied at the scene, what does that make you think? Oh, license, photographic identification. Yeah. Ha ha. No. 
Um, she's described as being female. Her facial appearance complexion is Caucasian fair. Height, build height, weight, obese. That's not me fat shaming her or anything. Get fucked. You know what I mean? You don't need to put that on a death certificate. Yeah. Um, 170 to 175 centimetres, 70 to 75 kilograms. How is fucking 70 to 75 kilograms at 170 centimetres obese? You know what they do? They She's look from at the it. fucking farm, which they, does work. They look at it as the BMI, which is stupid. I'm just having a discussion. Height and weight. All they did was just weighed her. Done. I'm just having a discussion. Let alone a young girl yeah. to plaster obese on her investigation. She had a tattoo. Right, and this was important to me, but they didn't really discuss that in the thing. You really had to read these documents, right? So she had um, on her left breast um, a swallow. Yeah. Right? She had complete... Sorry, she had... um, I have no idea what that means. So basically, this guy, five years prior to asking the family to come in and look at these photos, he noticed the similarities between the file of this girl, Jessie, Jessica, and the case of Ursula. And the photos are what really gelled it to him. And so there's this identification statement that comes up, um, re the death of Jessica Pierce. And the person who identified her, right, that's what it was. It wasn't some identification card. It wasn't some utility bill. It wasn't her photo ID or her driver's license. This was some random that she had just met weeks before who had been given a false name, right? Uh, The girl's name was Janira Alicia Michaels. Um, And she was identified on the 17th day of February 1988. Um, she's a dance teacher, if you get what I mean. And again, I'm not shaming, but she would have been ultra protective about herself because of her work, her yep. occupation. Yeah. So five months after the crash, this friend came in and identified this girl in the car accident as Jessica Pierce. Um, she said that she was 25 and a half years old, which we know is incorrect because we knew Jessica was 17, 18 at this point, right? Her occupation was a dancer. Not that, again, no judgment whatsoever. Her relationship was a friend and she had known the deceased for three and a half years, but we know that's incorrect. Yeah. So the police decide to chase up this Janira Alicia Michaels, but they couldn't find any person that met that fit this mystery friend like this person didn't exist um so pretty much then it snaps like they there's a photo of some guy pretending to be a cop typing on a word document and i don't know if it's a copy paste of some report somewhere but i grabbed it anyway just in case yeah and what it says is she also advised that she was going to mubbin with mark gillity kyle Robert and Hans. She stated Mark had a court case to offend, attend. Jesse told the girl that this, um, Janira, that her parents had just gone to New Zealand for a six-month holiday. Right? Yeah. All inquiries followed up did not prove the true identity of the deceased. Right. Inquiries were made to try and locate the deceased's friend, Janira Alicia Michaels. No record could be found. And so Marsh had his suspicions that this victim could, in fact, be Ursula, but he couldn't prove it. 
Um, we now know that he brought these concerns to his superiors yeah. and they dismissed them. Jeez. But he can't mention anything to the family. He didn't want to mention anything to the family about it, right? Yeah. So, fast forward to 2015, Marsh saw something that completely shocked and surprised him, um, that Jessica was indeed Ursula. So, when they had the press report released that year, um, Marsh saw a different photo of Ursula from his photo brief. Um, so, it was like, you know when you have pictures of someone, you'd had, you'd, they might have 50, 60, 70 photos of Ursula. Yeah. But there was this one photo... And he said he had chills down his spine because it looked like the girl in the car accident photographs, right? Yeah. And so the family were shocked. They couldn't understand why Marsh was blocked and discouraged by his superiors. They, they questioned why Marsh wasn't able to pursue this hunch um, because it completely threw the case off. And it's one of the most baffling aspects of the case. Yeah. Years on, the family do not know why. It wasn't allowed to be investigated further. So, um, the family ends up kind of identifying Ursula in these photos, right? And um, the police still obviously had to prove that it was her. So, they went on a hunt for the other three guys that were in the car that were given in that statement. Um, Hans Tangen, who was in the car, he was first asked if he remembered Jessica slash Ursula. And then he was asked what happened in the accident and if he remembered Jess at all. And he said, of course I did. Um, He describes meeting Jess while at King's Cross. Hans, Jess and a larger group of guys and girls all hung out together during this time. Kerry Nichols remembers meeting her. So this is another friend, Kerry. Uh, she remembers meeting them in a pool hall. Uh, she said that they played regularly. They just listened to the music. They hung out and they had great times. She came out of the blue. Like Jessica came out of the blue. Um, she described her as a bright spark and that she was very innocent compared to the rest of the people in the friendship group. They say that they never heard the name Ursula before. They only ever knew her as Jess. Yeah. Um, they knew her boyfriend, Mark. And they knew that she wasn't around... F- she wasn't from around city based on the way she was dressed. She wore a denim jacket, denim jeans, a white shirt. And if you say that to anyone, someone will say, that's country attire for you. Jeans on jeans, yeah. white shirt, that's it. You step yeah. straight up off the farm. And so she had been about in King's Cross for about three weeks when Hans decided to steal a car. So she had only been gone home for three weeks, right? Yeah. So the group decided to go driving around and they say, hey, you know what, let's go to Melbourne. And so Kerry said, look, my dad would have killed me if I got in the car, so I left. Ursula went because her boyfriend Mark was going and she said, and they say that this friendship group said, look, she never went anywhere. In the three weeks that she knew Mark, she never went anywhere without him. Yeah. Uh, the next door neighbor's dog can agree because he was there. Yeah, totally there. Uh, so Hans was driving around initially and then they pulled up at Yars. And then that's when Robert took over to drive. Hans made sure to tell Robert, look, mate, don't use the cruise control. And then the guy who this is the guy who's driving the car first. Yeah. So he decides to catch a sleep. 
So Ursula and Mark, they lie down in the back seat of the car. To me, that sounds like they're not wearing seatbelts. Yeah, absolutely. So they're cuddling and they fall asleep. And then the dickhead sets the cruise control for 120 kilometers per hour. And then they get into a head-on collision with a truck. So essentially what they've done is they've looked at cruise control being... that They thought that the car was just going to drive itself. Well, the car drove itself or he didn't know how to stop the car from driving itself on the cruise control setting. Well, it's quite simple. You stop the car. It's not their car. They've stolen the car. Yeah. They don't know. They haven't read the manual. Yeah. So you just apply the brake. He probably thought you had to press a button. Who knows? You just stop the car. Uh, so they get into a head-on collision with this truck traveling at 120 kilometers per hour. And then, so this actually made the newspaper at the time. And the snapshot I could get from the article says, uh, stolen cars driver to be charged after woman killed in smash. The driver of a stolen car involved in a fatal accident on the Hume Highway yesterday has been under police guard at Wagga Base Hospital. A woman was killed in the accident and three men were last night in a serious condition. Sergeant Beecroft from Tarkata Police said the car, stolen from Sydney on Monday, was travelling on the wrong side of the road when it collided head-on with a semi-trailer. He said the driver of the stolen vehicle would be charged and then it kind of cuts out mid-sentence saying the 18-year-old driver had and then you can't read anymore, right? So these four teenagers pretty much were on a joyride to Melbourne. Um, and then when Ursula's family pretty much found out about this, they say, look, we don't have any animosity to the drivers, to the boys in the car, because it could have happened to anyone. Anyone yep. driving the car could have had that situation. Um, the sad part is that it only happened three weeks after she disappeared. Jeez. Um, so her family's fears were they thought, that she was a sex worker and that she was hooked into drugs. Um, she wasn't, you know, and they got that kind of answer. Not that I'm saying that there's anything wrong with being a sex worker or anything shameful about being addicted to drugs. We all help that you get through it and you can kick it if that's what you're looking to do. Um, but, you know, she was just there. She was part of the gang. Um, her family said that they felt relieved and the situation was much better than what they first thought. Um, as much as they felt relief, they were also quite frustrated because there wasn't any answers for them. How did this go so south, so you know, so quickly? Why did it take that you know, twenty-seven years for this information and these answers to come to light? Um, so after the crash in 1987 there were two separate investigations going on at the same time right so this jessica person yep that investigation and ursula's disappearance but no one connected the dots and so she didn't have a driver's license there was no phone to contact anyone right and so in the documentary they line up some key information about this car crash victim, a.k.a. Jesse, and Ursula as a missing person. So um, the screen grab says that the car crash victim perished on the 
27th of October 1987 that the victim came from Sydney, that her alias was Jessica, that she was between 17 and 25 years old, with fair blue eyes, weighing 70 kilograms, standing 175 centimetres tall. And then they have uh, Ursula's information next to it as a missing person, where yep. she was missing since October 1987, missing from Sydney, her name being Ursula uh, Barwick, that she was 17 years old, that she was had fair build, blue eyes, weighing 70 kilograms and standing at 175 centimetres. Um, and because Jessica... Well, I suppose Jess um, being Ursula, she didn't have any ID on her uh, at the time of the accident. The boys, even her boyfriend, just knew that knew her as Jessie. They couldn't give her surname because they didn't know her surname. Um, but the thing is, in the letter, so then they gave another. They show a second page to the letter that she wrote her friends. If that makes sense, right? That we hadn't seen before in the documentary. Um, And then she, apparently, being Ursula, made a mention in the future that if she ever had a daughter, she would name her Jessica. Yeah. Um, And it's like, so I hope you, darling, are still working on the colour scheme. So this little baby will be the trendiest kid in town. If it is a girl, I've decided on Corone or Jessica. Uh, Maybe Claire or something. If it's a boy, it will be either Craig after Frog Melissa, I think it says. So, um, essentially what we now know is that she changed her name to the name she would have given her future daughter. Uh, So the police investigating the crash were only looking for a woman named Jessica. And then they point out in the documentary as well, uh, you know, the binder with all the information about the case. And then there's this point 77, it says, Sergeant Beecroft started, stated during the inquest that there was a large number of inquiries made by King's Cross Police and the Vice Squad in that area in relation to attempting to locate relatives of the deceased. However, he did not go into any specific detail regarding those inquiries. He stated the Bureau of Crime Intelligence checked their records for prostitutes known by that name and with a similar tattoo with a negative result. Right? Yep. So, take from that what you will. And at the same time, like, Ursula's family weren't looking for, you know, missing persons or records of young women aged between 16, sorry, 17 and 25. Um, They weren't flicking through photographs of reported missing women, right? Um, So they were just sitting there waiting for the police to do what the police do. And so... In missing person investigations, to us in hindsight, it it's an obvious choice to say let's look at morgues, yep. let's look at you know accident victims and all that kind of thing. Um, but police did not do a check against bodies that were turned over at that time. And then when the family pretty much found out that she Ursula had been lying in the morgue for nineteen months, that nobody went to look at her to identify her, they were quite disappointed. Um, and the problem here also is that the New South Wales health jurisdiction of the morgue and the New South Wales police um, have jurisdiction of different parts of the investigation, if that makes sense. Yeah. So they all have different records, different databases and different methods that don't meet or 
intersect with each other, right? They're two parallel, they're, sorry, they're two investigations occurring in parallel instead of network together, right? So it's like saying if I used the Google search, but it only gave me Google searches, and if I used Bing, it only gave me pages that I didn't see in Google and vice versa. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And so this, you can understand how it would be a completely major issue and that there would be many, if not hundreds of cases that have had this problem over decades. So in 2014, um, there was a police inspector, Victoria Bresford, and she was asked to conduct an investigation into the missing persons unit of the New South Wales Police. And then from her review, there were failures at every level, from the intake of the police report to the level of care that is shown when someone first reports, for example, um, providing wrong dates of birth, genders, addresses, next of kin, and because that all dirties up data. Yeah. And then so the thing that she says that shocked her the most was what was happening in the morgue, that there were so many unidentified people and any of which could have been one of the state's long-term missing persons just sitting there in an icebox, right? Yeah. And so when you have an unidentified body turn up, it's not automatically matching against a police report. And um, so that to me is alarming because you'd think you would check against that. But unfortunately, um, Ursula was found 31 years later. And so once the detectives wrapped up their investigation, the family knew that it had to go back to the coroner's court to have Jessica officially declared as Ursula Diane Barwick. Um, the lead investigation investigators, uh, Adam Marsh and Amy Squat, Scott, Scott, sorry, um, are not allowed to comment yet because there's still a lot of internal investigation occurring within the New South Wales due to the police force um, during the inquest. And we talked about how there's a lot of issues with the New South Wales Police Court because um, we've spoken about what's the face, um, the polo player, yeah, uh, Kelly Lane before you know and she had issues there already um so what we do know and this is where it gets really heartbreaking but we know that ursula is buried at the emu plain cemetery we don't know where within the cemetery and there are no records and there is no headstone depicting her as obviously jessica right um so she could be anywhere Within the acres of that cemetery. That's really sad. And so I guess that's why I kind of titled this as identified rather than found. Because we technically don't know where she is. is. So the family organised a plaque that's on one of the walls, marble walls at the cemetery. um, And that was their way of saying goodbye. And it reads, in loving memory of Ursula Diane Barwick. 14th of the 8th, 1970, to the 27th of the 10th, 1987. Beloved daughter of Peter and Cherie, who's obviously deceased. Sister to Lee Andrew and Christopher. Beloved stepdaughter of Elizabeth and sister to Andrew and Kate. We never stopped looking for you and we finally found you. Rest in peace-ish. Yeah. So apparently there's a second inquest coming up in 2020 that's going to focus on the investigation and looking at where the shortfalls were and why she wasn't identified so much sooner. 
Uh, Victoria Bresford says the coroner will look at the systemic issue of the investigation and the failure of the New South Wales Police Force. Um, what I found is just outside of the documentary, I just sort of did some kind of Googling, I suppose you could say, on my own. And I was able to find that the family had a memorial for her. Yeah. Um, and in this kind of like information sheet, I guess, brochure, whatever, I feel terrible saying that. Um, but it said, always loved, always remembered. And there's a beautiful picture of her. And it says, Ursula Diane Barwick, her dates, obviously, and then forever in our hearts. The kindness of our family and friends has sustained us in the loss of one so dear. And we thank you for your support. And there's a picture of her as a little girl sitting in like a wash basket as a bath outside. Yep. Um, and it says, following the service, please join us for refreshments at the pub, um, in the address of the pub. And then the, you know, at Emu Plains where we will gather to celebrate her life. And then the quote is, do not cry because I have gone, smile because I was here. Um, and so her cousin, Melissa, well, this is Ursula's cousin, Melissa said, we wish Arnie Shuri was here with us today. Um, that was part of the drive to not give up and keep pushing for this. Um, so then I went on to nowtolove.com.au and there was some other stuff that I found and they had this kind of like information thing about, you know how we always talk about how far someone is away from home, for example, in Tanya rider in the car accident you know the case we covered a couple of months ago yeah and so you can see like i'll put the link in the description but you can see the railway station where her parents dropped her off to where she was last reported in king's cross right um and so what we now know is that uh, she was boarded a train at taragas railway station headed for sydney she was 17. They spoke about her height. Um, apparently, she used her bank accounts twice in the two weeks after boarding the train, but they have not been accessed, accessed since. Right. She was allegedly seen with two girls about the same age at King's Cross during the period of December 1987 to January 1988 by a family friend. But I don't know who that family friend is. Um, and then that's where I also wanted to mention that I found it weird that they spoke about the tattoo, but they didn't have any images of it. The family didn't discuss it. So you really have to be reading the whole document on the screen to kind of find that information. Um, and they didn't speak about it either in the investigation, but I noticed that they were both wearing bracelets um, on uh, in every other photo of her before her disappearance. She was wearing a bracelet that looked to me quite similar or to be the same. Yep. Um, so yeah, sadly this episode isn't found because her final resting place within the cemetery is unknown. So this is the first episode of our new series called Identified. Um, and then I did some of my own personal digging and then at the Coroner's Justice New South Wales Department, um, I found the inquest documentation about them changing uh, Jessica over to... Um, Ursula, obviously, and that happened on the 21st of December 2018. The magistrate um, was Derek Lee. Uh, and then so the findings, I found that the person previously described to be Jessica Pierce is in fact Ursula Barwick. Ursula died on the 27th of December, oh, sorry, October 1987 at Kajara, New South Wales. Um, the cause of her death was cerebral contusions and lacerations to head injury. 
a ruptured aorta, a ruptured liver, and multiple injuries, um, all being significant conditions in which contributed to her death. Ursula sustained these fatal injuries when a vehicle that was travelling in was involved in a collision with another vehicle. Um, and in his epilogue, the coroner was actually quite moved, um, which I guess you could be understandable. So in Ursula's honour, her cousin Melissa created the Picnic for the Missing. Yep. Um, it's celebrated on the 1st of August every year, and it's set up for people to remember missing loved ones, to share memories. Um, and I will put their Facebook page um in the episode notes so if you or if anyone you know has a missing family member and you wish to get involved um, you can do that Melissa is also an author um, and she's published a series of no- series of novels inspired by her cousin um, she, her books are titled write about me uh, find me and when you find me her books have a very strong missing persons theme they're all endorsed by the Australian Federal Police Mission, National Missing Persons Coordination Centre because of the role they play in raising awareness and helping families of missing people. Uh, so Melissa was featured as a guest speaker at the official launch of um, National Missing Persons Week at Customs House in August last year. Uh, I will also leave her personal web page in our notes. And I would also like to say that since writing these notes, the New South Wales Police Force has replaced its missing persons unit with a new standalone investigative unit to rectify past problems and create solutions for now and into the future. And the team says that they are currently reviewing and developing new standard operating procedures. Well, there you go. So, it's really sad... Yeah. It's really heartbreaking. Um, um, but, yeah, just... The fact that it took so long after, you know, it happened, that's, you the know... The hardest part. That is a breakdown of communication. That's what that is. Well, I don't know, but I always assumed that um, they would pretty much search those databases... Like, in my head, it makes sense that if, say that I went missing, wouldn't people looking to see if I was just dead as well? You know what I mean? Like, wouldn't you want to check everything? You would. It make, To me, it makes sense now. I guess it's a lot of hard work because not everything, I guess, in the 80s was online no. per se. So you can't just type in some stuff and then, oh, here's a picture of Ursula. Yeah. But I don't know. It's really sad. It's quite heartbreaking. And, yeah. Yeah. And, again, it's one of those cases that highlights the distinction between is someone missing because they chose to go missing, if that makes sense, because they're trying to avoid a situation, or is someone actually missing? Yeah. You know, through either an accident or malicious, you know. Like, she deserved to be identified. Yeah. She deserved to have the choice to go home if she ever wanted. Yep. And imagine the family thinking for all those years, oh, maybe she actually is dead, and then getting the Crime Stoppers... Shit, sorry. um, The mix-up with some girl who was actually alive, and then thinking, oh, my God, maybe she is alive, and then being heartbroken that she actually hasn't wanted to reach out and contact yeah. you to your poor baby girl was 
in a morgue unidentified until she was buried by the, you know. And also, how at the same time does the government just not know and keep the records of where people are resting? Yeah, that's got to be tough. And you obviously can't exhume everybody to identify everybody to say this person right here in this plot is indeed Ursula. Very sad. So, yeah, that's it for me today. Um, I'm sorry it's not, you know, more uppity, but I'm going to try and make next week's one a bit more low-key, if that's all right. Yeah. Because I've kind of run out of um, pre-organized material. Yeah. So, I'm going to... I've got some ideas. Like, good ideas. On On the science bus. Well, do you have something prepared? Not at the moment. I have the ideas there, so... Okay, so it's not going to be ready for another two months. Yeah, yeah, no, it'll be ready. (laughs) All right, what did you think, Lazar the Llama? Yeah, Lazar was pretty happy. Yeah, Larry. Lazar doing Lazar things. Lazar. Oh, God, maybe not directly into the microphone, Michael. Yeah, yeah, that's right, Larry, yeah. Yeah, Laz. Laz agrees. Larry agrees. Uh, We're going to keep the tag there. We're going to cut Lazar's tag off. We're going to detag Larry. All right. Yeah. So he's wearing it as a hat at the moment. I thought the stream is that you stole from JB Hi-Fi. The stream is, yeah. The JB Hi-Fi display. He said it was blowing in the wind. People were like, what the hell's going on? So. So, all in all, that is it from us today. Yep. Uh, hope you all have a fantastic week, everybody. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And thank you seriously to everyone who is streaming us, downloading us. Um, we cracked 400 and we were like oh my god yeah thank you very much um so thank you so much i promise you next week's one will be um a lot more low-key yep um a bit more fun i suppose as opposed to you know government doing dumb shit yeah people passing away um so i have like a quarter planned if that makes sense so it's almost done and i'll have it ready for our podcast excellent cool beans so, I hope you all have a fantastic week. Um, stay safe out there. If you see anything nefarious, please report it. Yeah. Even if it turns out to be nothing. Yeah. Report um, away. And you'll hear from us in another seven days, everybody. Woohoo. See you then. Bye. Signing off. Uh, may the force be with you. Yes. And also with you. Yes. Vulcan hand signals. <laughs> Adios. Muchachos. Muchachos.